Hello, this is Ben Eshmade and welcome to this King's Place podcast. This March, Jewish Book Week returns to King's Place with its annual International Festival of Arts and Ideas. Join us for 80 inspirational talks, conversations, debates and performances with some of the world's most interesting minds and exciting personalities. There's something for everyone. Festival director Lucy Silver guides us through the festival. Then in the second half of the podcast, we focus on David Waller and Rupert Younger's new book, The Reputation Game, which reveals the key mechanisms that make and break our reputations. So for an overview of the festival, I joined Lucy at King's Place. Jewish Book Week aims to make Jewish culture known to the world. So if you like, it's a celebration of Jewish culture and themes, history, arts, economics, philosophy, religion, but at the same time explores, if you like, the interface between Jewish and Jewishness and the world out there. It's an incredible, ambitious festival. 80 events, I think. Yes, it is 80 this year. We have... And we do, we're kind of developing our festival fringe. And in fact, the festival fringe, which is a range of free events, we could have had an entire festival on. And all the people who would love to speak at Jewish Book Week, and unfortunately, we can't accommodate them all. How do you approach the, the curation or the programming? All right, well, we always aim to have as wide a range of events as possible. So we know we're going to have hard hitters and events that are going to sell out, but we also want the quirky, the unusual. We bring people from all over the world. And a lot of people that we put on are those who would not be heard elsewhere. Could you give an an example of that that comes to mind? Well, here's somebody who will be heard elsewhere in the world called Stephen Greenblatt. He is a professor of humanities at, at Harvard, but he's coming over especially for us. And this is a real coup for Jewish Book Week. He's doing something on his latest work, which is an amalgam of anthropology, psychology, arts, literature and religion, Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve. And he's also doing an event with Janet Sussman and Howard Jacobson, exploring the contemporaneity of of Shakespeare. So Shakespeare in the modern world. Interested to ask you, when you have an event based around a book, I presume it can be different every time because obviously I would imagine sometimes it's directly related to the book and on other times it sort of springs off from the book. Yes, actually, I think you're absolutely right. We like to use books as a springboard it, yeah, into exploring wider topics and themes. So if you've got a book, I mean, lots of our books are, if you like, surveys of 100 years of history or taking a, a street in Berlin, for instance, and seeing it from 1904 to 1914, we've got a very intelligent audience. And quite a lot of people who come to events are knowledgeable about the material (laughs) and they have lots of questions to ask. Yeah. So people are really frustrated if there's not time for a QA. and a So we allow 15 minutes at least for that. We're starting to mention specific events. I think this is a good point to pick out a few more unusual events. An event we have this year is on an unusual one for us is on gardens. Gardens and gardening, gardens through the ages. And we have four devoted and intensely enthusiastic gardeners who 
who all do other things in their lives. So we've got Penelope Lively, a very well-known writer, who's written this wonderful book about gardens through the ages, and also her own garden in growing up in Egypt um, pre-war. And then Jonathan Wittenberg is a rabbi who's an extremely keen gardener and into nature and animals and so on. There's Charlotte Mendelssohn, who has a small, if you like, cottage garden, her own tiny garden, in which she, which she nurtures with great care and is written about. And um, Rachel Detame, who is a television presenter, you all know her from Gardener's World and you know, Chelsea Garden Show and so on. And these four are getting together to really thrash out their ideas and their intense enthusiasm about, about you know, all, things, all things that grow. Speaking of different things, I think you want to make sure people realise that it's not all about books or it's not all book based. I, I think there's music and there's some and there's some drama as well as part of this programme. Yeah, we've got we've always got a bit of live performance in there and it's always exciting. And this year we're exploring the relationship between Arthur Miller and Elia Kazan. We've got hundred years of the American songbook. Are there any themes and ideas that have come out of this year's festival? Yeah, I think a main theme is actually identity, identity and borders. And there's a bit of a, if you like, tension or relationship between personal identity and national identity. And people have very tense, forceful and fierce views on whether they believe borders should be impermeable or less permeable, such as Douglas Murray, or more permeable, I think, such as Tim Marshall. And that really is infiltrates, if you like, the pervasive theme of the festival. Then going from the kind of national borders and national boundaries, I think you can also home in on personal identity. And, and again, there's an interplay between the personal and, if you like, the, the global, I mean, the, the, or the universal. And that's something that Simon Sharma, in his approach, it's a very personal account of the history of the Jews from 1492 onwards. And he highlights personalities and people and small populations rather than, rather than taking, you know, the expected, anticipated approach. He, if you like, is a, a personal guide and narrator through hundreds of years of, of Jewish history. It's also about now, though, isn't it? There's, there's the, some books within the festival which are very much commenting on the media and, and some of the, the, those politicians we can't get away from at the moment. There are. I mean, there's, yeah, there's very much, I mean, we're very topical here. And we've got a, a debate on the future, you know, technology, geopolitics, real, you know, global experts. But what is quite interesting, there's always a then and now. So if you take someone like Ian Golden, who's Age of Discovery, what he's doing is he's taking the Renaissance and he's drawing out the parallels between where we are now with our technology that we literally, which overwhelms us, mm. that we can't control, you know, the uncontrollable forces, if you like, that we are subjected to, and saying it was much the same in the Renaissance. In a way, what the festival does, of course, is that it's a spread board for people. They learn about ideas, lots of them. You know, the, the ideas are swarming all over the place. They can pick and choose and then they can go off and read. But even if they don't read the books, you know, they've still, you know, found out about a lot of things they wouldn't have otherwise mm. encountered. <laughs> Next to join me was author David Waller, who talked about the themes and ideas behind his new book with Rupert Younger, The Reputation Game. Let's boil it down to that word reputation and kind of what it what it means or how you've defined it. We define it as, as very simply about what other people 
think about you. Uh, but you can break it down further than that because there are you could have many different reputations with many different categories of people. So you can have a, a good reputation with your mum, but your boss might think you're you're dreadful. Um, and obviously, you know, if you're if you're a company, you might have a great reputation with your shareholders. But, uh, you know, perhaps because you've been sacking your employees, but that mm. means you have a terrible reputation with your employees. Or you could have a great reputation for making money, but a bad reputation in society as a whole mm. because you're polluting, you know, or destroying the environment. So it's complicated. There are trade-offs. It's not straightforward to say you have one reputation. Is the aim to have one reputation, though, especially if you're a company? I think I don't think you can aim to have one reputation. It's a kind of byproduct of, of many things. Uh, and in the book, we look into the ingredients of reputation. A lot of it's got to do with your, your behaviours. So really, you need to start with, you know, what kind of company do you want to be? Do you need to be in society? Mm. And uh, how are you going to behave in order to be a successful company? And that's not just about making money. If your conduct, if your activities, if your behaviors are consistent, people are going to start recognizing that and acknowledging that through reputation. I think, I mean, let's give an example. You could have a reputation that's incredibly valuable that isn't necessarily a good reputation. So let's take the mafia. The mafia have, you know, a reputation for being pretty unpleasant people. They go around sort of kneecapping people or executing them. And, uh, you know, we looked in the book at studies of the mafia in action in the garbage collection market in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, and there you see that, I mean, they nurtured that reputation for violence and for being generally pretty antisocial uh, for many years. And that gave them tremendous commercial advantage. And, you know, in a way, what was really interesting was they didn't have to do too much actual violence to enjoy the benefits of that reputation. But they just did enough. And actually, what happened after decades, uh, actually, they, they lost their appetite for investing in their reputation. In other words, they stopped being violent. And that allowed legitimate players to come in and, you know, take market share off them. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> it is fascinating. It is fascinating. I think I think we look at it in, not in a, in a the pretentious term would be a normative way. We're not, we're not trying to say this is the kind of reputation you should have. Yeah. We are looking at the way reputations are created, uh, how valuable they are. And I think, you know, it's, a, it's another kind of question about what sort of company do you want to be in this day and age or what kind of individual do you want to be? Ultimately, you should get a reputation that is consistent with that kind of inner identity that we're talking about. So to emphasize, it's not a self-help book as, as such. It's, it's, it's a kind of exploring of this, what, what sounds like a fascinating subject. Well, obviously, I think that everybody on the planet could benefit from reading this book. In that, uh, I'm being slightly facetious. But no, I think, I think we do argue that having the right kind of reputation can be tremendously beneficial to you mm. in your community, uh, in your workplace, in your school, if you have a reputation for being generous or being a good corporate citizen or for being hardworking or for being effective, there are all sorts of many different kinds of good reputations. And I think that carries an awful lot of benefit. I mean, just to give you an example, if you are Norman Foster, the architect, I mean, you don't need to say more than those two words, more than the name, for doors to be open everywhere. You're going to kind of get straight to the point with people because of your reputation. That reputation precedes you. It is a reflection of decades of, of work and decades of, of attaining the highest possible standards. But how quickly can a reputation change? I mean, is that, again, of our time, is 
that's something which can be within, you know, a news cycle. Yeah, I think the uh, that social media has given a sort of instantaneous uh, dimension to reputation creation uh, and destruction. And we only have to think of the examples with United Airlines uh, fairly recently when they were filmed smashing up guitars on on, on the runway or uh, beating up uh, their passengers. And, you know, in essence, in the age of social media, uh, there is nowhere to hide. Your behaviours are exposed uh, immediately and circulated around the world. And I think in, in, in previous generations, you could rely on, on a culture of deference, you could rely on things happening a long way away. But now uh, time and space have been collapsed. So uh, yes, to your point, yeah, reputations can be created and destroyed instantaneously. And lastly, when you do an event like this at King's Place, what is it for you? Is it is it about sort of explaining further what, as we've done here, what the themes and the areas that you um, looked into? Or is it also about discovering other people's opinions and kind of maybe taking some of the ideas further? Look, it's when, when you've written a book, personally, I find it just very rewarding to engage in a conversation. Uh, it's about listening as well as uh, talking. Yeah, and I mean, ideas that, that come up um, in these kind of situations can be the basis of, you know, follow-up articles, research, even books. But uh, I think mainly it's um, it's enjoyable. Thanks to Lucy and David for speaking to us. The Jewish Book Week runs from the 3rd to the 11th of March for nine days of live interviews, fascinating discussions and enthralling entertainment. You can hear David talking about the reputation game on Tuesday the 6th of March at 7pm in the St Pancras Room. And at the beginning and end of this podcast, you've been hearing some brief musical extracts from singer Jackie Dankworth. She explores 100 years of the great American songbook with Charlie Wood and band on Sunday the 11th of March in Hall 1. Full details of the festival can be found at kingsplace.co.uk forward slash jbw. You've been listening to a King's Place podcast. You can find and follow us on Twitter at King's Place, Instagram at King's Place London and Facebook forward slash King's Place. Thanks for listening.